Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into everything that you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is our transfer guru, Dr Duncan Castles. Today we bring you news on, of course, the biggest transfer story that's going to be happening this summer uh, involving uh, Erling Haaland, uh, as well as uh, news on Arsenal, Inter Milan, Manchester United and, interestingly for us, the England national team, albeit the under-21s. Duncan, let's start with uh, Erling Haaland and his future. It's been well publicised that his father, uh, Alf, and his agent, Mino Raiola, our favourite pizza delivery man, uh, visited uh, the two major cities in Spain yesterday to talk with Barcelona and Real Madrid and are soon expected to do likewise in England. Our information, and this is probably the story behind the story, but that's what we do. We we do bring you this news first. That's uh, one of the reasons that this transfer is imminent is because when Raiola took Haaland to Borussia Dortmund, it was under the understanding that he would be allowed to leave after one season providing, of course, that his value had increased. Dortmund are looking for around €150 million for a player that they bought for under €30 million just 12 months ago. But the crux here is the fact that in that deal that took him to Dortmund, Raiola negotiated a 20% commission on the sell-on fee to the next club that Haaland joined. Now, if you take that into account, that would make Raiola 30 million euros if he sold for the asking price of 150 million euros, which would be split with Alfinga Haaland, his father. Hence the interest as well as the motivation to sell the player. Obviously, Dortmund has uh, a a big stake in this in terms of making a profit, and they agreed to this particular deal, even though it's way above what agents usually earn from a transfer. Although we do know that in Raiola, uh, he tends to do this kind of transaction as he did with Paul Pogba when he left Juventus for Manchester United uh, and was paid 
uh, an excessive commission in that case as well. Uh, obviously, uh, with his goal-scoring record, Haaland has increased his value exponentially, and uh, there are at least five or six clubs vying for his signature this summer. Duncan, um, Raiola's commission aside, uh, we know that Erling Haaland has ambitions to play at the highest level. Would you think he would prefer England to Spain or is that something which perhaps will be decided by finance rather than by what he wants to do? Look, I think the financials are very important to this transfer. Um, they've been important to the transfer to Dortmund. Um, as you've explained, it's been set up in a way that Haaland, um, his father and Mino Raiola could benefit from that transfer from uh, Red Bull Salzburg to Dortmund and then benefit even more so on the next transfer, um, the one that Raiola is negotiating at present. Um, with the transfer fee going well over 100 million euros is the expectation. It could be more than than the figures you're presenting because Dortmund are putting out a asking price of 180 million euros. Seems that Raiola's camp are saying they think they can get the deal done for 150 million euros. You've got such an array of suitors um, that you can understand why Dortmund are asking for the money that um, Paris Saint-Germain paid Monaco for Kylian Mbappe uh, several years ago. And I think the limiting factor is COVID rather than anything else. Um, in a normal market pre-pandemic, then that 180 million would be a reasonable um, figure to put forward. Um, and at the degree of competition that this elicits, we'll, we'll see how close we get to it. As you say, Raiola, this is not an unfamiliar strategy with him. Um, when he took Pogba under his wing at Manchester United as an academy player and deliberately moved him out of England to Juventus um, on a training compensation only deal at the end of his contract while ignoring the uh, the option that uh, Manchester United thought they had in Pogba's contract but which legally would have been very difficult to enforce. Um, Juventus took the player for a few hundred thousand euro and they did a deal in which Raiola would be entitled to a huge percentage of the transfer fee if he was sold on above a certain figure. 30% of the transfer fee above a certain figure. Ultimately, Juventus, by their own testimony, paid Raiola uh, as company top score sports 27 million euros of commission on the transfer fee of 105 million euros that Manchester United paid them. Um, there was to be a 5 million euro bonus if the player renewed his contract at Manchester United or was sold for more than 50 million euros, which probably looks like um, Juventus are not going to get now. Why was it 105 million? Because Raiola wanted to be able to have the world record transfer. He wanted to go ahead of, of the, the figure Real Madrid had played for Gareth Bale. But his income on that deal didn't end there. It was 27 million he was due from Juventus for getting the transfer fee to that level. He also took a reported 19.4 million pound commission from Manchester United for bringing him to the club or back to the club with 
United due to pay another 2.6 million euros of commission on behalf of Pogba to Raiola over the course of the contract. So total income from that one transfer for Raiola was around 50 million euros. So in a sense, um, the the price he's marketing Haaland for is a is a discount on the on the pizza man's um, highest rates. Fifty million euros could buy a lot of pizza. To be fair, um, although given Mino's um, rather returned uh, physical uh, shape, then perhaps he's already spent some of that. Um, I would say that uh, with Raiola. Um, it is actually against UEFA and FIFA rules to represent uh, or take commission from both clubs with regard to a transfer. Um, but in this case with Haaland, um, the money will be shared with his father, uh, who is effectively uh, benefiting as well and as part of the negotiation process. Um, I, I think these rules are... They're essentially irrelevant when you're talking about talent of this scale and where there is such competition to sign them. FIFA at the moment are trying to put a limit on agents' commissions and bring it down to a few percentage points on, on any deal. And and Raiola, interestingly, is one of the individuals who's probably most outspoken um, talking about FIFA as being a mafia and not understanding how the sport works and that they are... Uh, full of corruption and they shouldn't be telling agents what to do. Um, if you talk to people in the industry about the FIFA's attempts to, to limit commission, they'll say, well, look, if the player's good enough, the club will find a way to pay the agent the money, whether they have to hide it through um, some alternative transaction. There is a price expected from the person representing the player um, to bring them to the club, that price will be above what FIFA want to limit commissions at and it will be paid if the, the clubs are desperate enough, keen enough to sign the talent. I love the idea of FIFA changing their name to Mafifa. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can get both in one. Um, so my point, I guess, is with, uh, with Haaland, um, England or Spain what suits his game best because he's a kind of sort of a, a hybrid striker, isn't he, Duncan, with regards to um, his physical stature, but his ability and agility uh, with regards to the way he scores goals. Um, I'm just wondering which league, uh, whether it's the Premier League or La Liga, I, that he's I, most suited to. I don't think it's a question of league for Haaland. I think you go back to the, the podcast we did on... Dortmund's willingness to sell Allen this summer um, for sporting reasons uh, and also because they, they can capitalise before release clause comes into effect next season. Um, they feel that their team is performing worse with Haaland in it than they had when he wasn't part of their team. So although he is scoring basically a goal a game um, and looking like a player who can take a part most defences, the overall product for Dortmund has declined and they're struggling to qualify for the Champions League. Now, talking to people who've discussed this with Dortmund, they feel that Haaland is he's so individualistic um, 
that you basically have to build a team around him and provide for this kind of central force and feed the player to centre your attack on that player and, and construct the rest of the team in a way that gets the best out of him and reduces the limitations he imposes on the team in the terms of his style of play and the way he wants to play. So I think it's which club can fit him into their system or are prepared to adapt their system around him. Um, look, we see Barcelona as being, you know, they want to be associated with this deal. Laporta wants to make one um, marquee signing on, a, on his return to the presidency. He wants to be seen to be involved in this race. For me, it's difficult to see that Haaland is a good choice for Barcelona. The, if the problems that Dortmund are talking about having in the Bundesliga with him are accurate, and if he doesn't adapt his way of play, I mean, he is still young, so there's the possibility that he can learn and he can become more of a team player. But I would say he has Mino Raiola advising him and we there is a history of Mino Raiola players not listening to their coaches and not adapting their play because they have Raiola telling them they're the best player in the world and, and it's always someone else's fault when things go wrong. Maybe he can change his way and maybe he can fit into a system, but the way he is at the moment, I don't see Barcelona being the right fit for him. Um, you know, in some ways, Manchester United, with their defensive approach, um, counter-attacking approach, um, their setup to put balls quickly through to forwards, um, they actually, I think, fit very well with the way Haaland plays at the moment. And, and I think he would fit into their team without a great deal of difficulty because it's not a very complex way of playing. And that kind of physical strength and pace and ability to score goals by yourself when released on the opposition defence is quite a good marriage. For me, a better marriage than Barcelona or Manchester City. So Haaland is causing um, one of the biggest auctions in European football that we've seen in terms of the clubs who are interested and the money that's expected to be paid for him and to him. Sticking with Borussia Dortmund, Duncan, you've got some information on young French international defender Dan Axel Zagadou and a link to one of the top English clubs. Yeah, um, Zagadou, widely considered to be one of the best of a very good cadre of, of young French defenders. Been at Dortmund since 2017, was taken on a free transfer from Paris Saint-Germain, one of the many um, excellent academy products at, at Paris Saint-Germain, whose sort of pathway into the first team have been blocked by Qatar spending on talent and have been picked off by uh, other European clubs um, to good effect. He um, He's 21 now, he's a France under 21 international left-footed centre-back, something that's always in demand, 1 meter 96 and out of contract in a year's time. Um, he has been pursued by Arsenal and watched by Arsenal as, a, as an option, strong option for their centre-back uh, positions for some time now. Um, they have, I'm told, been active 
in preparing a deal to bring him from the Bundesliga this summer. Um, quite a lot of work done on that. The idea being that the, he would be available for around 30 million euros, perhaps less, given that you only have one year of contract left. Um, there is one setback in, in terms of uh, finally completing or, or, or moving that deal further forward, and that's that last month, um, Zagadou suffered a reoccurrence of a knee injury and the club Dortmund announced that he would be out for the rest of the season in order to have a knee operation to sort out a, a problem that first started in April last year and required surgery at that point. He's played nine Bundesliga games and two Champions League games this season. Um, he is regarded as one of the top young defenders in the Bundesliga. He's actually been in the Dortmund team in the first team for four seasons despite his young age which is very impressive quite unusual for a centre-back to break into first team at a club of the level of Dortmund at, at basically at 17 years of age and sustain a place there when when his fitness would allow um, so a decision to be made from Arsenal as to whether they they pursue a, a transfer that they put a lot of work into and someone they see, see as being excellent partner for Gabriel who they uh, signed last summer in order to reorganise and start improving their their uh, central defensive options and has proved a very good fit to the Premier League and a very good fit to Arsenal. Arguably one of the best young centre-backs in the Premier League at present. Um, whether they are prepared to do that deal while he's recovering from a knee injury or whether they wait um, until next summer See if see what his recovery is like. See how he does in the Bundesliga again, but take the risk of going up against basically a number of the top clubs in European football to sign a player who will, at that stage, be a free agent and uh, able to have a, a broader cho- choice of clubs to to move to. Arsenal in the last few years, Duncan, have not had um, a great amount of success, despite significant investment in centre-backs uh, and Zagadou at 21 is not as experienced as perhaps uh, some people might believe that Arsenal need. Does this represent a bit of a gamble in signing him and pairing with Gabriel who has been impressive but Arsenal have been guilty of quite a lot of defensive errors during this particular season and it seems like Mikel Arteta uh, needs to find players that he can rely upon uh, to simply to do the, do the simple things well rather than uh, uh, give away possession in, in that crucial area of the last third and uh, is Zagadu dependable in terms of that I think with Arsenal, they, they've set themselves up as a project where it's it's an overhaul and it's medium-term, long-term rebuild. Um, and it's finding value in the market and putting players in place who can last, be there for 10 years potentially. Um, they bought themselves time with Mikel Arteta. Uh, I think there's a lot of faith in his coaching and um, he gets 
a bit of leeway because it's his first managerial job and because of the problems Arsenal have had for some time there. He he bought himself time by winning the FA Cup last season. And normally, when you look at a Premier League season where after 29 games, they're ninth in the table, um, currently nine points off Champions League qualification, uh, something that they haven't achieved for several years now, you would expect Arteta to be under or whoever the manager was to be under some quite severe pressure. That's not really the case. And um, having set up the project that way, I think it, it's sensible to continue pursuing it. If you've got the time, if you've managed to buy yourself the time for mediocre league results, um, don't go chasing experienced, expensive short-term solutions, the kind of things that they did at the end of the Arsene Wenger reign and uh, and I think they're still trying to sort out, they're still trying to reorganise their wage bill, still trying to get rid of players that they they don't want there to be uh, at the club anymore and that they're trying to rebalance their squad and get talent in all the right areas of the field rather than have it all loaded at the attacking end of the field, which is um, what they ended up doing uh, as Wenger was exiting the club. Interesting, I thought, Duncan, that um, this week uh, Arteta was asked about his opinion on Sergio Aguero leaving Manchester City and uh, would he be interested in signing him? And he said, well, if we could afford it, then yes, uh, he's one of the best players, but also a great person. Um, The interesting part for me is that um, the future of Alexandre Lacazette is in doubt with regards to him being sold. What I don't see is uh, Mikel Arteta looking at someone like uh, Aguero at his age, uh, fitting into, as you said, what he's doing is the rebuild of the squad uh, in terms of making them more effective, but also uh, to gain results, but with, again, uh, younger players. Look, I think when managers are asked about individuals like Aguero, people they worked with for years, um, they tend to be polite and they tend to say the right things um, and you know respect an individual who who they gained a lot of success with as a as an assistant coach. Um, yes, in an ideal world, I'm sure Arteta would love to have Aguero in his squad in addition to the players he already has. Um, but he, he puts the finger on the, on the key element there. It's expensive. It's a lot of money and wages to take Aguero. Um, the best paid player at Manchester City, who they're allowing to leave, who's available on a free transfer, who has a lot of clubs looking at him and a lot of the top clubs looking at him, albeit um, no definite deal at present and from what, what I understand he, he feels he's in a position to take his time and decide where he wants to go um, we told you at the start of the week he had a an approach from Inter um, and Paris Saint-Germain on top of the kind of tentative approach from Barcelona he's very much not their first choice to bring into the club I can tell you AC Milan have also um, contacted him and are interested in, in his availability, whether he be, would want to go to Italian football. And my understanding is that he doesn't particularly fancy Serie A. 
So he, he thinks he can get a better option than that. Um, from Arsenal's perspective, I, I do not see them putting a big chunk of their budget into a striker who has had consistent injury issues for several years and, and this past season, very long-standing injury issues that have really reduced his, his playing time. Um, so, yeah, probably complimentary words because he's being asked about someone he used to work with. Indeed. And as we always uh, say on the Transfer Window podcast, uh, when we talk about AC Milan and strikers, 8 million, you say. Uh, and speaking of Serie A, uh, Duncan, you broke the story about Eric Bailly not being uh, entirely satisfied with his treatment at Manchester United. Uh, despite the fact the club have tried to offer him a new contract and uh, his scepticism about staying at Old Trafford on the basis that he feels that uh, Lindelof and Maguire are by far the two preferred defenders of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, you have news on Bay and uh, an option in, uh, indeed, Northern Italy. Yeah, the contract talks with Manchester United had gone pretty well and I'm told he, he was close to agreeing that new contract there until he was left out of, interestingly, the Milan game. Um, with Lindelof being chosen in his favour, he expected to play because he had been playing in the Europa League games. He reacted badly to that and uh, told Solskjaer what he thought about it. Um, subsequently considered what he did and apologised to Solskjaer for the manner in which he had protested about being left out of the team and also apologised to teammates for his behaviour, I'm told. But... Did he say Zuta Law? <laughs> but still feels still feels that, um, that the selection process is not meritocratic from Solskjaer and feels that he is a better defender than either of the two regulars that the two regulars have not done enough to um, to merit their uh, consistent selection in the first team and um, and therefore has been thinking that the the correct option for him is to move elsewhere to get football to get regular football and to prove his his qualities as a defender a decision, final decision had not been made on that and uh, as we we told you on the the podcast it, it's a complicated uh, situation because he does have a year left of his contract at Manchester United if he says I'm going to leave Manchester United would ask for a substantial fee for the player I'm told they value him at around 20 million euros and it might be difficult to find a club who's prepared to pay 20 million euros and give him the salary that Manchester United are prepared to pay him for renewing. One club who has asked about him and expressed their interest in signing him are Internazionale. Um, so move to probably the Italian champions elect um, and I think this is an interesting proposal from Inter's part because we know that they have financial difficulties at present. They declared a €102 million Euro loss last season. Um, there are question marks over 
the support coming from their Chinese owners, Suning, and the Chinese government asking uh, Suning to withdraw money from football. They've actually closed down their Chinese football team, um, who are actually Chinese champions at the moment. Suning withdrew everything, ended their backing just after the club became Chinese champions. We also know that Inter have a centre-back who is coveted in the, in the Premier League in Milan Skriniar, um, who Tottenham allowed themselves to be seen to try and pursue last summer, who Jose Mourinho would like to have brought into the team uh, ahead of this season, where he was being asked to compete for the Premier League title. Um, that deal fell through because Tottenham got nowhere near the asking price Inter wanted for Skriniar. Um, if they're looking at someone like Bailly, suggest that they might want Bailly in as a replacement with the idea that they would um, look to cash in on Skriniar this summer to help deal with uh, some of their financial problems. Manchester United's perspective, I can tell you that they've been in discussions with another defender um, with uh, Italian links, um, so Nikola Milenkovic, who's the starting centre-back at Fiorentina, um, Serbia international, 23-year-old. He is out of contract in 2022. United, I'm told, think they would be able to sign him this summer for 10 million euros. Um, information I have from Italy is that's probably optimistic and that Fiorentina would want more money and would probably look for 15 million as a, as a sales price. Um, one of the attractions of Milenkovic is that he is on very low wages at present. He's currently paid less than 1 million euros net by Fiorentina. So the overall cost of that deal, even if Fiorentina insisted on the, the 15 million euros, would be relatively cheap for United. And, and that would allow them um, to bring in that extra centre-back they want uh, to work alongside Harry Maguire at a reasonably contained cost. And if Baye decides he, he isn't going to renew, um, to try and sell Baye in, in the summer and uh, and have a, a replacement international centre-back in the squad for Solskjaer. Certainly it's the case that Solskjaer has been um, looking at centre-backs, Duncan, and we've reported that extensively on the podcast uh, over the past few months, um, even though uh, he does have a soft spot for Lindelof and is very committed to Maguire, given that he is the most expensive defender uh, in world football at this moment in time. Um, so I guess that's something that we will certainly be having a close eye on in the coming weeks uh, ahead of the summer window opening up. And speaking of the summer, it is our information that England's under-21 coach, uh, A.D. Boothroyd, who is out of contract uh, in three months' time, we understand that he will his contract will not be renewed and he will not be offered a new deal and that a replacement is currently being sought for uh, to take charge of the England under-21s Bithroyd this week, uh, it was exposed to the um, indignation of going out in the group stages of UEFA's Under-21 Championships and also a mass brawl on the field as well. He stated his preference that he wanted to 
uh, stay and renew or certainly get an extension to his current deal. Uh, but our information is that that will not be forthcoming and that the FA will take the opportunity to appoint a new under-21 manager. Uh, Duncan, Boothroyd made a point um, which I thought was rather, I'd, I'd say, sketchy in, in uh, you know, the, the best possible way, um, that his job uh, was made much more difficult. In fact, he called it the absolute impossible job because uh, he had to provide players to progress to the England senior squad and therefore could not pick the best possible team for uh, his own uh, campaign in terms of this particular championships. Uh, is that a fair assessment? And has he basically had his time? Well, they lost to Switzerland in the first group stage game. Um, you would think that England, particularly this generation of, of England, England players, um, would have sufficient quality to be able to beat Switzerland under 21s, even if he was limited in his selection because Gareth Southgate wants to promote as many young players to the, the full squad as possible. And it is something Southgate has done throughout his, uh, his time as England manager. So you can see why Boothroyd is saying he has limits placed on him because um, this is a, an unusually young England uh, full squad. Uh, and previous under-21 managers wouldn't have had that issue. In fact, I think quite often England allowed players to drop down from the, the full national team to play for the under-21s and in, in, in things like the, the Euro Under-21 Championship. But the talent is, I think, sufficient to get better from those players than Boothroyd managed. Um, losing 2-0 to Portugal under-21s, well, Portuguese are... European champions, they're one of the, the strongest full national teams in, in world football and they also have a very strong um, generation of youth players at the moment, a generation that Portuguese believe, if managed properly, um, could be potential World Cup winners combined with the, the players they have in the full national team at the moment. But Boothroyd um, always seemed like a kind of strange appointment in not a top quality manager and never proved himself to be a top quality manager in the club game. Um, if you put someone who isn't the highest possible level of coach you can get for under 21 level uh, in charge, then I think you can expect problems like they've faced with Eddie Boothroyd in charge of the national team. And, and yes, you'll have to make excuses. What will be interesting is who and what type of coach England go for to replace him when his contract expires in the summer. He certainly got um, a cachet of very talented players um, in, available to the under-21 squad. So I do think that the um, complaints he's made are, are slightly facile with regards to um, results, etc, etc. And um, I'd be surprised uh, to see A.D. Boothroyd come back quickly into another job. I think you're right, Duncan. I think it was a rather odd appointment in the first place and probably uh, a fortunate one for the manager himself. 
um, but one which he's not made a success of. Uh, they haven't achieved uh, anything uh, near what the expectation was from the Football Association or indeed from uh, what the uh, talent of the players he has available to him. Um, so complaining about uh, the fact that Gareth Southgate takes uh, players for the senior international team into uh, his squad uh, and not allowing them to, well, not not having them available for the under-21s, I think, does seem a little bit rich um, regarding, you know, the performances that have uh, been the case under his supervision. It is, of course, the second podcast of the week, which means the Donkey Award must be presented. And we know that people everywhere in football are on the edge of their seats, waiting to see if they are part of the nomination process, or even better, winning the golden statue. Uh, Given the Oscars are coming up, Duncan, as well, and of course the donkey is based on the Oscar statue, uh, that um, they won't be uh, one of the recipients. Um, and this week we have decided that Micah Richards, the very likeable uh, and relatively new um, face of punditry uh, in football uh, in terms of Sky and the BBC, uh, this week um, gave his opinions on who the hardest man in football is. It's a subject we haven't addressed before uh, so we're more than pleased that Micah has raised this particular subject and that we can of course have a debate about it as well. Um, Micah said that he and this is going to be the one of the wonderful ironies uh, in recent football history wouldn't be having Roy Keane as the hardest man in football which of course is reminiscent of the great and one of my heroes, Delia Smith's Let's Be Having You, uh, in her uh, halftime address to Norwich fans. So, um, Duncan, I'm going to open the golden envelope, um, which has been very, very uh, gratefully provided by the Oscar nomination committee uh, ahead of the awards ceremony, because obviously uh, it's all going to be done remotely. Can I get this open? Good quality, obviously, because uh, I have to tear it twice. Right, so the nominations for the Micah Richards ha- uh, Hardest Man in Football Award are uh, Lauren of Arsenal, who famously, in my presence, uh, challenged Patrick Vieira, who had called out um, his Arsenal defence. Uh, during uh, and after a draw with Rosenberg uh, in a Champions League match. And basically, Vieira stepped back and didn't want to take Lauren on. So the myth of Patrick being uh, one of the hardest men in football was kind of diminished quite significantly um, by that particular incident. Branislav Ivanovic, whom uh, one Chelsea player, 
or more than one actually, once told me he was absolutely the hardest man uh, at Chelsea, um, described as being something like the Terminator because he had a titanium skull when it came to heading the ball, but also he would clean you out even in a five-a-side game because he was so competitive. And last, but certainly not least, Duncan, Andoni Goikachea of Athletic Bilbao, uh, famously, of course, a team who plays only Basque players and the man who tackled Diego Maradona so viciously that he cut Maradona's boot in half uh, with his studs and then, and I think this is quite amusing, um, asked for said boot which he placed on his mantelpiece in his house uh, as a souvenir of his clash with the former Argentina captain and God rest his soul. Quite a difficult one, this Duncan. We could have had many nominations for this particular award, um, but you know, I think those are those three are pretty good. Um, well, since you mentioned Oscars, I'm going to put a mention to a friend of mine, um, Pippa Ehrlich, who has actually been nominated for a real Oscar um, for her documentary My Octopus Teacher. And if you haven't seen oh, that, and sensational! If you haven't seen that. I would advise you to watch. It's quite a um, incredible bit of nature documentary filming, very different from anything else I've ever seen. I've watched a lot of them in the past. Um, hardest man in football. I think this this is this is one close to your own heart, Ian. So I'm going to let you make the decision on this one, just for a change. <laughs> oh, hang on a second. If you're deciding on the hardest man in football, I'm sure sitting in defence isn't part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't going in the ring and actually having the fight part of the part of the decision? It is, but I, it's definitely not Mika Richards. So you tell us who you who you like best out of those three. Um, okay, that okay. I wasn't expecting this. You've you've ambushed me here. Um, I'm going to go for Lauren because I I knew or know Patrick Vieira very well. Um, and I've you know spent quite a lot of time with him, and know that you know he was very uncompromising. Let's say, and uh, that fantastic footage of him in the tunnel at Highbury, uh, confronting Roy Keane um, about picking. Uh, sorry, Roy Keane confronting him about picking on Gary Neville, and Vieira just basically facing him straight up. Uh, and saying, yeah, whatever, Roy, let's see how it goes out there on the pitch. Um, yeah, the fact that I, as I said, was on, or was witness to the confrontation with Lauren and to see Patrick uh, effectively back away from any confrontation with Lauren was very surprising. And having spoken to several Arsenal players, uh, about that particular incident since um, was something that surprised them as well. So I'm going to say Lauren is, is for me, and again, probably an unusual one that uh, a lot of our listeners, I suppose, wouldn't have expected, the, the, the hardest man in football. Um, 
maybe in the past there have been guys who have literally knocked people out, etc. Um, but uh, Lauren, certainly for me, in facing down Patrick Vieira, uh, gets my vote. So there we go. So this week's donkey goes to Lauren. We will be packaging it up. Uh, we'll probably do a um, a remote Zoom award process, Duncan, <laughs> where we we agrees to accept the award, and uh, yeah, um, let's hope that he appreciates our um, nomination of him in this category. Uh, this has been the Transfer Window podcast on Friday. Uh, of course, of it's always the news before it becomes news, as you will know um, from Tuesday when we reported the Sergio Aguero transfer interest from Barcelona uh, and other clubs, which was then followed up by other media outlets. Uh, if you like what you've heard, please leave us a rating on iTunes. And if you're subscribing via YouTube and listening there, uh, just turn on your notifications. You get first news of when the new podcast drops. We are at Transfer Podcast on social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I'm Garbo SJ. Until uh, next week, when we will be back with you, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.